Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. It's good to be here, guys. It's good to be with you. Good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you here. Glad you're healthy. I know I don't sound healthy. Probably not healthy, but I'm not bad. So hopefully, just before we start, I want to pause and again be thankful for all the people who come, all the people who serve for Gil, Rick, Randy. Um, Jason, who's not here, who set up the chairs um, and everything. Yeah, Brianna with the children. And if you would like to help with the children, come and see us. And I'm sure she would appreciate the help. But there are so many people, even those who watch and give, uh, that make this happen. And we are mindful of that and thankful for all of you and your participation in whatever ways uh, that you are able to participate. And as we start, and Randy's going to come up and sing, I know that it's easy for us to get familiar with a ritual of how we do things. You know, we have the songs, and then Sam's going to talk. Then afterwards, we're going to have a little dialogue together. Um, but I don't want routine to become mundane. I I don't want us to lose the opportunity that is before us, even as Randy comes up and sings some songs, to step into the meaning of those songs and allow them to have meaning for us, Uh, allow the scriptures that we read to challenge us and allow our conversation with one another to encourage us. And so this really is an opportunity that is pregnant with possibility. And I pray that it would birth life in us. So let's pray and move into this. Father, it is with gratitude that we come before you Gratitude for your love, gratitude for the blessings we have and hold on to, thankful for our families, both at home and here, part of Genesis and abroad, thankful for our ability to care for ourselves and even have enough to care and help others. Lord, may this time that we set aside be an opportunity that we take for take 
hold of, that we take advantage of, that we grab hold of the opportunity to step in and to grow, to be encouraged, to encourage, and to allow our life in you with one another to flourish. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, good morning. Today I want to continue our conversation on a faith worth wearing. Last week we talked about what's in a name and the importance that names were in that culture and how with a name also came a, a responsibility to the character and that when we talk about in Jesus' name, it is in the character of Christ. And, and we're going to be kind of continuing that. I forgot to mention last week there is a quote that's attributed to Francis Assisi. I don't know if it's actually his or not. Some say it's not. It says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, right? And that was kind of the idea that we are to proclaim the gospel, the good news that God loves you by how we live, I can remember going to conferences, pastors' conferences, or even just hearing from the pulpit that our job as Christians was to preach the gospel. And what that means is that we are not here just to help people with their needs but we are here to tell them the truth. And it would be something like, what good is it to give people food and clothing if they are going to hell, right? And scriptures would be used like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but lose his soul? And these interpretations or ideas were assuming that the idea of a soul was something that we had to be worried about after we died and not concerned about now while we're living. See, I don't think Jesus was giving us that instruction, what does it profit to gain the world and lose his soul, to worry about after we die. I believe he was talking to us about how we live, that we can lose ourselves if it's in a way that is just to gain the power, just to gain the honor of others, just to gain that status, then we will actually lose who we are and who God made us to be. And so all these interpretations about it doesn't matter if you feed a person, you have to give them the gospel was you have to tell them that they are going to hell unless they accept Jesus. Otherwise, what's the point of giving them anything? Now, it's very interesting because people who are hungry and people who do need clothing think it very important that they have those things. And if you go there and say, yeah, you know, what, what good is it to give you food or, or clothing? You're going to hell. They say, well, right now it's very important to us. It's very important to our kids. And it's so conflicting with the things that Jesus said. I believe there's a failure to understand how we treat people Jesus compared it directly to how we love God. Whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. 
When did I see you and feed you? When did I clothe you? When, when did I visit you in prison? Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And so Jesus equates this generosity, this compassion that is shown up in material ways as how we are to love God and how we are to respond to God. And I believe that a follower of Jesus is more than a person who has information about Jesus. I believe that to be a follower of Jesus means to live into these things that Jesus demonstrated and that he had talked about. Jesus would tell his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him. Or he would say, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. And that had to be an alarming thing to say. That, that had to be very uncomfortable to hear because of what the cross was. The, the cross was horrific. It was a shameful thing. It was an instrument of terror brought on by a terrorist organization known as the Roman Empire, right? It was something that was used as a symbol of oppression, as a symbol of humiliation, subjugation, shame, and incredible torture. And so to say something like that had all this carried on with it. So when he would say something like that, people would be aware because they have seen it regularly used by this empire to bring coercion to the people. So how could he use this symbol and say, if we're to follow him, we have to take this up? Using a symbol, not so much as of salvation. Yeah, this cross represents salvation, but of an identity or a practice. And so when we look at the cross, it's not so much that Jesus died for our sins so that we don't have to, but an invitation to imitate his life as embodied on the cross. He was giving himself as an example. And this posture, some theologians have termed as a cruciformed life. It's a life that looks like or is shaped like the cross. Jesus lived a cruciformed life, a life that moved in this direction and embodied this character of the cross. And so living in the way of the cross is a cruciformed way of living. Picking up your cross and following him is a cruciformed way of living. It's modeling ourselves after Jesus and Jesus moved himself in this direction and the cross was something that he embraced. Paul gives a, a little more detail in this idea of a cruciformed life in Philippians chapter two. And I'm gonna read from the message translation just because I thought it, it was bringing a little bit more character to it. It says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity 
and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Later in that chapter, it says that God validates this by giving him a name that is above every other name. That this way of life produced, as we talked about last week, a name that is to be honored. So the way of honor did not come by assertion, by claiming a right that was his, but came by giving up the right that was his and taking on a lowly form, humbling himself, and that produced the name of honor. And this is a cruciformed way of life. Michael Gorman, a theologian, summarizes cruciformity as this. Even though we have privileges and prerogatives, we do not capitalize on them for gain or exploit them to our own advantage, but rather we use them and self-expenditure to pour ourselves out for others. That's a cruciformed life, pouring out for others, not using the advantages or privileges we have to put ourselves over, but using what advantages we have to give ourselves to. Now, this is not saying that you are worthless and you don't deserve anything, so Jesus had to die for you, but is saying that the value God affirms looks like what Jesus looked like when he gave himself for others. And it's important to see that difference because this isn't making yourself to be someone who is not worthy. This is recognizing that worth is found the way Jesus demonstrated it. We surrender power for the sake of love. Paul later says how, though he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was a Pharisee in the law, blameless, that he counted all these things as a loss for the sake of Christ. These advantages that I held in the status of people mean nothing to me because of the example of Christ and now my service of the churches. I'm not going to use this to put myself over others. I am going to follow the example of Jesus and give myself to you, he said. That was his desire. And this was outrageously countercultural at the time. Not like today where it's so embraced. Uh, <laughs> I think throughout all history, this is just so counter to how things are done. But back then, to get honor was at the top of your, your list, what you want to do. And power brought you honor. And so you would use those, that power you had over those that you could so that you could get more honor from more people. The more honor and power you had, the more you were secure. 
And so this was their idea of security is to, to have power so that you could be over others so that they would have to give you honor. And this was happening in the religious systems as well. It's why the Pharisees were so hostile towards Jesus is because he was taking their honor. People were going to him instead of to them. And and you think about that and how much that plays in our society today, how it, it really is about those who have, who are able to assert themselves over those who do not have, right? How the the wealthiest people in, in the world through the pandemic became wealthier and the rest of us, well, not so much, right? We had a struggle for work. We had a struggle with higher gas prices. You know, we're being told that we have to, you know, conform to these rules because it's necessary. And then you've got, you know, governors and other people living like that's not even affecting them. You know, you have billionaires flying on jets, you know, and then telling us that we need to watch our carbon footprint. It's like, what about your footprint, right? It's like, you got a big footprint. And this idea of I have power and so I'm above these things is still so predominant in how we see life lived out. And so instead of trying to gain more power, Paul was giving it up to serve others. And that's a a beautiful picture. Last week, Gil told me, knowing that I'm into smoking briskets and prime rib and things like that, um, he, he sent me an article just about Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters who brought his smoker out to a place and smoked and cooked for like 18 hours and served like 500 people all on his own, his own dime. He just did this. And he didn't want any publicity. He didn't announce it to anyone. He just did it and then people saw that's who it was and that's what he was doing. And it's so amazing, right? And it's so countercultural. That's why it stands out to us. It's so beautiful. Here's someone who is, quote, a rock star who has all this status and he didn't want anything, but he wanted to cook. And I understand it. Once you start smoking, you get bit. You just kind of like, man... It's like, I got to share this with people. But to do that is the same in mentality. He's not taking his reputation and flaunting it. He's using what he has and serving others. Randy was telling me about when he was over at the missions in LA, some other famous person, I won't mention their name, came there, did some photo shoot, got in their limousine and left, right? It's like, that's different. I'm using my status to gain more status. I'm going to use these people to make myself look good. And here's a person who says, I don't want anyone to know about this. I'm just going to do this because it's the thing I want to do. So the kingdom looks like this. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be ambitious. It doesn't mean you can't have a desire to succeed what it has to do with is, is intention. It has to do with the motive. Are, are you doing all these things so that you can be honored by others, so that you could have power over others, so that you can do and live how you want without regard to others? That's the problem. 
But if you're ambitious and you want to succeed, I know people who have done amazing things with work and business who are millionaires and have used their money, their status to bless others abundantly, right? It's good. I mean, Jesus was supported by wealthy people. So that's not the problem. I I don't want us to get into this place where we feel that we can't have these desires or these ambitions. And, And I don't want us to get to this place where we are being condemned or shamed for being ambitious. A lot of us have these problems because of maybe organizations we've been in in the past that have put condemnation on us or guilt on us or shamed us to think that we weren't worthy of anything. And so who are you to ask for anything? And and that's not the mentality that is being presented here. The whole idea here is that whatever status, power, advantage you have can be used in a way that's not selfish, but is selfless. And that is the way of the kingdom. The kingdom we are invited to is a cross-shaped kingdom. And the life we are invited into is a cross-shaped life. Jesus was exalted in his most humbled state. Cruciformity means we seek no assertion of strength against others, We do not coerce, manipulate, or pressure people so we can have power over them. And again, you think about how guilt and shame have been used to keep people in a place where they can still have power over you. When that's the opposite of what Jesus did. That's the opposite of what Paul did. And so what does all this have to do with evangelism, right? This idea of proclaiming. Everything I was taught that evangelism was, was that we were to tell people, right? How will they know unless someone's sent? And how will they hear if no one tells them? Speaking the truth was all about that. And in fact, one of the passages that was used was speaking the truth in love. And I want to look at that because it's pretty amazing what it says. In Ephesians chapter four, it says, Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so here we're getting this picture of a body, right? Where Christ is the head and and everyone is working together. And it's this powerful picture. And for the word speaking, when it says speaking the truth in love, the word speaking, it's a participle, but it does not mean talking, which was shocking. What it means is truthing. It, it, it's literally truthing in love. A better translation might be performing the truth in love. 
See, the idea of speaking wasn't, or talking wasn't just something you said. It was something that you lived into. It's performing the truth in love, which makes sense because earlier Paul said he urged everyone to live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. And later he's told not to live like the Gentiles who live to just indulge themselves. And in verse 20, he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Is that, I'm, that's like exciting to me. The truth that is in Jesus. This is living into the truth. This is truthing in love, is living in the way that is in Jesus. So it's not telling people they're going to hell. I had to tell you the truth because I love you, right? Because that's what I was told. I got to tell someone the truth because I love them. But this has to do with performing truth, living with them like Jesus did. How did Jesus do it? He ate dinner with them. He walked with them. Of course, he taught them and he talked with them, but he was doing life with them. That is performing the truth in love. It's not just giving someone information. It's giving someone life by living with them. The whole chapter Chapter four is about how we live in unity with one another. Truth and love are not in tension with one another. Well, there's the truth, but there's the love. They're a part of one another. Remember a while back, we did a series on grace and truth where we talked about how there's the the tension that people see them as opposites. And we kind of divided it into four. And we talked about, you know, uh, High truth and a low grace is what we called call out, where you got to tell people where they're doing wrong, but it's not, you know, really caring about them. And then the low truth and a high grace was hang out. Hey, we're just going to be together. We're going to kind of, I don't care what you do. I just want to be your buddy. Low truth, low grace is check out. I'm done with this. I don't even want a part of it. But the high truth and high grace we called call in. And it wasn't about speaking to someone. It was about journeying with someone. It's about doing life together. Call in isn't something you can tell someone what to do. It's something you have to do with someone. And those with kids know what that means. You can't tell your kids how to live. You have to live with your kids. And they'll do what you do no matter what you say. Darn them. But that's the truth. And so Colin is journeying through life together. When you do life with people, you have to have hard conversations. You, you have to have difficult things. If someone is struggling with addictions or if someone is doing things that are damaging to to the family or to the community, there has to be conversation. So this isn't just, hey, everything's fine, peace, love, Woodstock, right? This is about living with one another in the proximity of one another. But the point isn't telling what is true, it's living with, performing the truth with. Which brings us back to the invitation of Christ, this full circle that I was trying to get to to pick up our cross and follow him, not to honor ourselves above others, 
the idea of picking up your cross and following Jesus was not spoken to an individual. It was spoken to a group. Just like you are the light of the world, it was spoken to a people. Picking up your cross is not something that one person can do. It's something that we all do together. And it's by us doing that together that gives it the power. Now, of course, there's a personal element to it. It can't not be there. There's personhood involved, but we miss the weight of what Jesus said when we fail to see that it was meant for a community of people and not individuals. That we together are to pick up our cross and follow after him and how we conduct ourselves as a community. So evangelism looks like what Jesus was doing, living, eating, talking, truthing with people. Community is at the heart of evangelism. You, plural, are the light of the world. How? By how you live with one another, how you treat one another, how you conduct yourselves with each other, even in the differences that you have with one another. Gosh, I remember when I was in high school, me and my friends, a bunch of guys went to see the first Alien movie. And the theme, oh man, I was so scared. We, we cried like little children in that movie. We, but the theme of that movie is in space, no one can hear you scream, right? Evangelism... By yourself, no one can hear you speak. It's only powerful when it's in the communal context. This Friday night, I was invited by a friend to go to an event, and they sent me this invitation, and it was an invitation to basically have people pray over and... um, you know, minister to me and to the other people that were there. And when I first got the the text, my first thought was, I don't know if I do that anymore, right? Because it just triggered some things from my past. And I, I was having a struggle with it. But the person, I felt safe with them. And I even texted them back, hey, I'm wrestling with how to respond to this because it's triggered some things in me from the past. And they were so gracious. And they said, well, thanks for being honest. Really, um, you're welcome here. We just want to love on you. And it was like, have dinner. And then we're going to have a time of prayer and worship. And we just want to bless, you know, put blessing over you. And this person's coming from a more Pentecostal kind of background, which I'm familiar with. And so I, I had this, I said, I'll get back to you. I need to think this through. And so I stepped back and I did what kind of I've been trying to teach us to do. It's like, okay, this triggering was a kairos for me. Why am I feeling this way? Well, because of things that have happened, how, how this, I've had some bad experiences in this scenario. And so then I had to kind of dig with that compassionate curiosity of why it happened and and then start to kind of discern maybe some good news that could happen in this moment. And my thought just kind of jumped to the the chase here. I don't want to let the bad experiences of my past 
stop me from the good experiences of my future. I don't want the things that have happened because of people asserting authority, people using power and the Holy Spirit or Jesus or church authority to stop me from participating in things that could be beneficial. And so I said yes, and I went. And I went there, and we had dinner at 4.30, and I had some just amazing conversations with people. And there was a woman who's a pastor, and her and I had this incredible conversation, and there were some talented, gifted musicians from a variety of places, places that I would not go to that church, but I received from these people. And when the time came where they were like doing some worship and they were singing and there's a group of people praying over people and people were praying in tongues and doing all these things. And again, it's not kind of my thing, but I had to sit in there and I started just thinking, okay, what do I need to receive from this? What's going on? And one of the things that was beautiful to me was the diversity of people who are here because they care for one another and really just want to serve one another. And even though it looks different than what I would do or what I'm used to, I could actually see something beautiful in it and be touched by it because of the intention of it. Because the fingerprints of Jesus were in the motives of these things. You see, that's... Paul talks about unity in this, these chapters in Philippians. Why? Because this is what's important. I, I don't have to agree with you. I, I don't have to be a person who speaks in tongues or a person who believes this doctrine to understand that there is something still that looks like Jesus. And I think that's the important part. Because if we want to endure introduce people to God to help someone understand what God, quote, looks like, then it's going to have to happen not only in my relationship with him, but in my relationship with others. John put it this way. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Which seems to me like John is saying, no one's seen God, but the closest you will get is when you see people loving one another. If we want to evangelize, if we want to bring people to God, the best way to do it is this. And we need others to be able to proclaim the good news because the good news is that God loves us and now we love one another. And and so a while back, I, I... was speaking about community and the importance of community in the gospel. 
it should be no surprise that community is a part of then what we call evangelism because it's the foundation. It's the, the fabric of what it looks like. If it doesn't have the cruciform element to it, then it's not the good news and that must have people that we interact with to be seen. And so no one has seen God, but they can get real close when they see us loving one another. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us to see the importance of a salvation that is not exclusive or individualistic, but again, looks like Jesus. That we'd see an evangelism, a proclamation of the gospel that looks like Jesus, that is cruciform in nature, that is caring, that is loving, that is truthing with, that is journeying with, performing the truth instead of just telling people what's true. Lord, this requires a lot more of us, but that's part of counting that cost. Help us to be genuine in this, Father, that we would be honest with where we're at, with the things that make us uncomfortable and step into the things that help us to extend to others in ways that produce love. Thank you again for your example, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Again, I look forward to our conversation. May the gospel mean more to us. May the way of Christ be the way we show the light. May we understand that people see who God is best when we love one another. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.